Two Chapter Three of Round the Block by John Belbooten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An auxiliary of modern civilization. The boy Bog rapped and entered. He was more neatly dressed than when Marcus saw him on the occasion of his first visit. His patched and threadbare coat was replaced by a neat roundabout jacket. His greasy, visorless cap by a flat felt hat of which the brim was symmetrically turned up, his tattered shoes by great cowhide boots. The boy was of that age when the human frame grows with vegetable-like rapidity, and he seemed to have increased a little all around within three weeks. The boy looked distressingly awkward in his new articles of attire. Had he stolen them, he could not have appeared more guilty in presence of the rightful owner why bog said mr minford reproachfully where have you been these three weeks not called to see us once the boy's confusion increased at this unexpected salutation and he hung down his head at the threshold of the door mr minford partly reassured his bashful visitor by springing forward shaking him heartily by the hand and saying with earnestness my good lad i am always glad to see you pet was also by his side in an instant and warmly shaking the other hand you look real nice bog said she mr wilkeson also came forward and said don't you remember me bog and clasped him by the right hand when the inventor had relinquished it bog bowed and scraped and blushed and murmured thank you very well several times confusedly and at last settled down into a chair which was pushed under him by pet having crossed his legs he began to feel a little more at ease you've been very busy of late haven't you bog asked pet charitably anticipating an excuse for the boy's long absence you'd better believe it replied bog not looking at her but studying the pattern of his left boot the day after I called here last, Mr. Fink, he got a job to stick up bills for a new hair dye all the way from here to Dunkirk, on the Erie Railroad. Well, he couldn't go, cause he had lots of city posting, you see, so he hires me to do it for ten dollars a week and expenses. The pay was good, he said, because the work was extra hard. The bills was to be posted on new whitewashed fences new houses and places generally where there was signs up telling people not to post no bills that was a singular direction bog said mr minford so i told mr fink replied the boy but he said as how them were the hair dye man's orders he said the idea was to make folks look at bills who wouldn't notice em if they was on a place all covered over with advertisements they was to be posted up high and strong, so that the owner of the property couldn't tear em down easy. Mr. Fink thought the idea was a good one, but he owned it was a little risky. Perhaps that is why he didn't care to do it himself, suggested Marcus Wilkeson. Mebby, said Bog, but I didn't consider it no objection. I told him I was going to be a bill poster, and wanted to study every branch of the business. At this point Bog hitched his chair nervously, uncrossed and recrossed his legs, as if he were conscious of trespassing on the patience of his auditors, and then went on. 
Well, I hurried home and saw that Aunt didn't want for nothin', and then I started on my travels. I should a called and seen you, Mr. Minford, he added, casting a side glance at the inventor, but I hadn't time. No excuse necessary, my good Bog, returned Mr. Minford kindly. Business before pleasure, you know. But I am anxious to hear how you got along with the job. Well, pooty hard, said Bog emphatically, though I made out to go all through the state and stick up six thousand bills, every one on em, on a new house, shop, or fence. Let me see. I was chased seven times by big dogs that was set on me, shot at three times. Why, poor Bog, interrupted Pet. You weren't hurt, I hope. No, Miss Minford, I wasn't hurt, answered Bog, looking her in the face for the first time since he entered the house, though I got one through my old cap. I'm so glad it was no worse, Bog. These words of sympathy from the young girl flustered the poor boy for a minute. Then he rallied. Besides that, I was took up four times by the police, and was carried a four justices of the peace. When they asked what I had to say why I shouldn't be fined, I told them the whole truth about it, and they all laughed except one, and said it was really funny, and they hadn't no doubt the hair dye was a very good thing to take, but could tell better after they had tried some. I told them that the hair dye man would send em a dozen bottles apiece. Mr. Fink had directed me to say this, if I was rested and brought afore a justice. The justices, that is, all of em but one, then said they didn't want to be hard on me, and as that was my first offence, they would let me go without any fine. And they did, after givin' me their names, and tellin' me to be sure to have the bottles sent on just as soon as could be. You see, they were all as bald on the top of their heads as pumpkins, but the fourth justice that I was took to, he wasn't bald but had a crop of hair like a picter, and when I offered to put down his name for a dozen bottles, he swore and fined me five dollars for what he said was an insult to the dignity of justice, and five dollars for postin' up bills in places where it was agin the law. Mr. Fink had give me money from the hair-dye man to pay fines, as well as my board, so I didn't care. But—but but I'm talking too much. Bog paused, because, on taking a stealthy observation around him, he suddenly became conscious that his three auditors were listening attentively to his story. "'Not at all, my dear Bog,' said Mr. Minford. "'I, for one, am curious to know how this ingenious plan of advertising, in defiance of the law, succeeded.' Mr. Wilkeson expressed himself curious on the same point. Bog, thus encouraged, continued. When I come home, after havin' stuck up six thousand bills in the principal towns and villages along the route, I went right to Mr. Fink. He shook hands with me, and says he, Bog, your fortune's made. How's that? said I. Why, says he, you're the greatest bill-poster I ever heard of. Professor McFuddle, that was the hair-dye man, says the money has begun to pour into him like sixty and he is buyin' up all the hair-dye in the market, and puttin' his labels on it, to supply the demand. He has given me ten dollars to present to you, besides the thirty for your wages. 
Mr. Fink then give me forty dollars, and says he, That ain't all, for I have so much business now I want a partner, and I'll take you, and give you one-third of the earnings. I rather guess I snapped at the offer, and we is goin' into partnership tomorrow. Success to you, said Marcus and the inventor together. They saw in this illustration of his bill-posting talents only an evidence of business shrewdness that deserved encouragement. The young girl, however, viewed it in the light of a violation of law, and therefore could not conscientiously approve of it. Bog noticed her silence and guessed the cause. Thank you very much, said he, but I forgot to say I ain't going to do any more business on the Erie plan. It ain't right. Come to think it over, I was sorry I done it, and so I told Mr. Fink, and he said it wasn't exactly regular either, and he shouldn't never ask me to do it again. I am glad of that, said Pet, quietly. Bog's eyes were instantly turned toward her with an expression of pride and gratitude. Oh, of course, it is always best to obey the laws, observed Mr. Minford. And I wouldn't for a moment be thought to advise anything else, added Marcus Wilkeson, though I never could help admiring pluck and sharpness in business affairs. I am going to school again, Bog, said the young girl, hastening to change the subject of conversation. Bog looked up, surprised and pleased. Mr. Wilkeson, said Mr. Minford, has taken another small share in my invention, and pays me in advance for it. With that, Pet will finish her education. The inventor would have made this disclosure of his private affairs to no other human being but Bog, for this simple boy was the only person he had ever known, excepting Marcus Wilkeson, who had not openly ridiculed his mysterious labors. I am very glad to hear of it, sir, said Bog, awkwardly, but with an air of profound respect. How, how is the machine, sir? Bog asked the question hurriedly, as if the machine were a sick person whose health he had until then forgotten to inquire after. Getting on finely, Bog, only two or three springs, a cog here, a ratchet here, a band at this point, and a lever up there. Mr. Minford touched portions of the machine rapidly, and then, look out for a noise. A noise, repeated Bog, with juvenile earnestness. Not an explosion, my good fellow, but tremendous public excitement. Plenty of fame mixed with a good deal of abuse at first, and a little money, I hope. The inventor's eyes flashed with the fire that Bog had often seen, and when he emphasized the word little, Bog knew that he meant to express the boundlessness of the wealth that his labors would bring to him. I believe it, said Bog, with sincerity pictured in every lineament of his honest face. I've always believed it. So you have, my dear Bog, and your faith has often cheered me, replied the inventor, patronizingly. By the way, how's your aunt? Oh, yes, how is your aunt, Bog? asked Pet. I had quite forgotten her. She's pooty well. Annie them rheumatics troubles her some. They're working their way from her left arm into her head, Aunt says. Week afore last they was in her feet, and they've been clear round her and going back again since then. 
queer things, them rheumatics. They are very painful, Bog, you know, said Pet. Yes, so Aunt says. Bog did not add, as he might have truly done, a thousand times a day. Give her my kind regards, Bog, and say I will call and see her, continued Pet. My respectful regards also, added Mr. Minford. Thank you, said the boy. But I guess you better not call, Miss Minford. Aunt's a good woman, but kind o' curious, you know. Them rheumatics has made a great change in her. Bog here referred, but made no verbal allusion, to a certain friendly call which Pet had once made upon his aunt, on which occasion that elderly lady had entertained her visitor with a monologue two hours long, giving her a complete history of the malady, from its birth in the right great toe three years previous, through all its eccentric phenomena, to that stage of the disease which made it, as the venerable sufferer observed with some pride, the very worst case the doctors ever heard of. Upon this fruitful theme, Bog's aunt could and would have discoursed for hours longer, but for the appearance of Bog, when she sought a new relief from her agonies by abusing that poor fellow, charging him with neglect and ingratitude, finding fault with the food which he brought home for her from market, and asking him when he was going to buy that soft armchair he had promised her so long. Bog laughed and explained this outburst by saying to Pet, It's only aunt's rheumatics, but the old lady rejected the explanation and went on scolding and fault-finding with such increased fierceness that Pet hastily put on her bonnet and shawl and bade the rheumatic grumbler good-bye, saying, which was true, that her father would be anxious about her. Since then the young girl had kept away from Bog's aunt. I've bought her a nice soft armchair lately, continued Bog, but it don't do her no good. The rheumatics seem to be getting wasser all the time, and the thing that makes them wassest of all is calls. So I guess it's better for aunt you should keep away, Miss Minford. Bog prided himself on his tact in putting forth the last argument. Then the conversation turned on Pet's education, Marcus and her father fondly discussing what it ought to be, and Bog listening and looking stealthily at the young girl, still busy at her work, and they all sat happy in thoughts of the future, far into the twilight. End of Book 2 Chapter 3